welcome. welcome I like Dr. the cheers. You, you hear those cheers, Daniel? Cheering us on. Get us excited to talk about the markets, man. Oh, yeah, we got the tunes going. We got the attendees rolling. I'm seeing Mark. I'm seeing baby, Brian. Baby. I'm seeing Lisa and Sam and Skip and Joe, Jessica, George, Keith. I mean, these, these names go on forever. I love it. That's right. Welcome everyone to Stock Market Live. We appreciate that you're hanging out with us here live for this lunch hour if you're on the East Coast. If not, I mean, look, man, we've, we've mentioned this before. We have people all around the world listening to this. We have, I don't know if you know this, we're on Apple Podcasts now. So if you guys are listening in there, we have tons of streams and replays coming through after the episode airs. Can't thank you guys enough for listening. Um, but leave us a rating, leave us a review, help us climb the charts, be those people that were like, yo, I've been there since day one. We appreciate you so much. Go ahead and hit that up. Um, before I'm before we before, dive in. Before we jump into that, though, Daniel, I think what could be really fun and interesting is I know we've got dozens of people who've been rocking with us for the longest time, right? They've been they've been in the trenches with us growing. But why don't we make an inside joke for the ratings? Why don't we figure out a way for us to to kind of you know pay homage, right, to our to our day one fellows out there, fellas, felistas, everyone who's who's been rocking with us. Let's pay homage to them. So hit us with a. I don't know, maybe an emoji or something that that we know that they leave right now, and we know that they were they were rocking with us for a while. Josh, maybe it's Josh. A, a, a ticker. I don't know. I don't know. Josh, what kind of emoji? You got the options over there in the chat. I'm gonna leave it up to Josh, the man, the rock in the background of the show, makes everything come together while we do this. Josh, throw a little emoji emoji in the chat for people, and if you're here watching the episode, you'll see it. And if not, <laughs> you missed out. So yeah, you let's live cool. and hang out. Obviously, guys, we love interacting with you during this show. So, of course, jump into the chat. We want to hear your questions. We're going to go into over two stocks today. I'm not going to tell you what they are yet. We're going to get there. We got two stocks. They're competitors in the same space. One has been around forever. One has more recently just come public. There's a lot to dive into. I know which one I've already, I've got my mindset. If I had to ch- choose between the two, I already know which one. And I'm, Austin, I'm sure you'd probably do too, but we'll get into yeah, it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, before we get into overview of the market, Quick little mention for everybody right now, if you're listening to this, it is November 16th, 12 p.m., of course. Right now, Seeking Alpha is having their Black Friday sale, 50% off premium. Got to mention that. Josh, please throw that link in the chat, and we'll also add it to the article as well. If anyone's interested in it, go ahead, check it out. It's only for a limited time. Now, let's take a quick look at the markets because uh, it's been a wild week, hasn't it? Ever it's since been, it's been very interesting, okay. right? I mean, we see the inflation report come in just slightly below expectations. And you know, I mean, you're seeing this green candle come out of nowhere because of that. And then we see things come down, then we're going back up. And then what was with like at the end of the trading day? I think it was yesterday, the day before the markets just tanked. I, I, I don't know. I just, we've been all over the place. So walk us through the gaps, show us what the lines are doing. What's all going right. on here, Daniel? So here we are. Of course, we're starting off with the volatility index, the VIX, which is not perfectly inversely correlated to the SPX and the SP500, but it's pretty darn close. So we keep an eye on it just to see what the at the money option players are doing. Obviously, we've seen this massive drop. We still have that gap way back here from August that we're waiting to see if it'll fill. Seen a lot of volatility, just decompression of the market right now with, uh, you know, CPI print, sentiment, everything going on. Here's the dollar. Of course, dollar was the most overcrowded trade probably <laughs> in most recent months. Um, just seeing it completely fall off the cliff, broke directly through my level here that we pointed out the other week, broke through the bottom trend line as well. Um, but it's looking like it, we're starting to get a little consolidation here. So this could either be a reversal point or a continuation. We like coils. We like coils. We like to take a second, see <laughs> Let everybody get a breather and see where we're going next. Obviously, that's inversely correlated with the emerging markets and international trade and everything else. So we definitely want to keep an eye on that. Daniel, if I could jump in here for a moment while we have the dollar up on the screen, I think what's really interesting is, and I made a video about this on my TikTok. So if you're not following me on TikTok, go follow your boy. But I made a video about how because of these foreign exchange headwinds and and the the, the currencies and things of that nature, these multinational companies are seeing, you know, FX losses to the tune of with Amazon $5 billion last quarter with Netflix. I think we talked about this on a show a while ago, but a billion dollars in foreign exchange headwinds for is predicted for the year of 2022 because of this company for this company. So, I mean, like we see the rising dollar and we see like how this chart went parabolic, but we don't really 
uh, I guess, quantify or conceptualize how this impacts the companies we know and love. Yeah, that's where it really pays to know the companies that you're invested in, right? And how much of their revenue comes from foreign sales. Definitely something to watch right now. Now, the other one I wanted to throw into the mix this week, brand new, because of all the news going on. And Austin, I've got to ask your opinion on this. This is Bitcoin. You got to talk about crypto. Personally, you know oh, I'm yeah. based on crypto. You have Chainlink, which you said time and time again that you're into. But I mean, with FTX, this complete just demolish of value seems to be stabilizing here a little bit, but we're seeing exchange after exchange come out. I mean, we had BlockFi yesterday. One just was announced today as well. They're dropping like flies. So I'm wondering, do you think this is going to continue to drop like a fly? So I vividly remember in, I think it was, short answer, yes, I do. Um, but long answer is I vividly remember in the COVID bubble of 2017, 2018, right? I think we peaked like on Christmas day or something, or like a couple of days after January, right when we hit that 20,000 mark in uh, 2018. And I remember it all coming crashing down and it, it kind of stopped around this like 8,000 range. And we kind of saw some support. We saw a little bit of a rally. We saw some excitement went from 8,000 to 10,000, right? And this was maybe five months later, maybe eight months after the, the peak. It's over, guys. We're, we're back at it. Let's run. Let's get it. Buy the dip. Buy the dip. It's game time. And then it crashed to 3,800. Right. And so like, I, I'm not over here. I can't predict Bitcoin. I can't predict what the market's going to do, but in my humble opinion, it just feels too early given all the downside momentum we've seen with FTX. And we're going to talk about that, Daniel. It's actually one of the questions I have for you uh, with, with the uh, you know first takes bullish or bearish. But um, I just I think it's too early. I think there's too much uncertainty. I think there's a lot of and not just with with cryptocurrency. Obviously, I think like, you know, a lot of people are preparing for some sort of recession. You know, there's been a lot of talks about credit bubbles and low savings accounts, right? There's a lot of things happening that don't feel as frothy and fun as they did when we saw Super Bowl commercials of the little QR code with uh, Coinbase going across the screen, right? So different times, different prices. And uh, with that being said, though, I am accumulating the, the cryptocurrency I know and love. And that, that is Chainlink. I just bought more of it yesterday. I spent like 200 bucks, right? That's right. Hey, put it in there. there That's right. Um, I tweet about it aware. sometimes, but I, I'm accumulating ones that I love for long term. Maybe this is a good time if you're into uh, allocating a small percentage of net worth to cryptocurrency. Now could be a good time to start for you. All right. And I was just looking up while you were speaking and talking about that. Um, the one this morning that I could remember was actually Genesis. And they came across yep, saying yep, FTX yep. has created unprecedented market market turmoil, resulting in abnormal withdrawal requests, which have exceeded our current li uh, liquidity. Um, so obviously not a good sign for the overall sector. But I mean, if you can find the right protocols, the right projects, you know, we just had the crypto webinar with Omen Malikin that I've told everybody about. Uh, that was just yesterday. I and mean, he was just like, look, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they haven't had any issues. So you know, maybe it's a good entry point. Me personally, still not my jam. Let's take a quick look at the SPY ETF, get into the SPP 500. Look, I've left this on, on week over week. You've seen the downtrend lines. You see the bounce right here off the gap. Guys, this is why I highlight the gaps. I mean, look at this. This is like to the T. It's almost like, yep, that's like a, a few months ago, we bounced right off the 200-day moving average. Now we're bouncing off directly off the gap, bottom of the gap, sorry. And the other thing that I just pointed out the other day to uh, Mike Saul here is if you go to the weekly chart, okay, and we look at the most recent downtrend, and I pulled these Fibonacci retracements from where that hit that 200-day down to the bottom of the move, boom, resistance at the 0.618 Fibonacci mm. level. Guys, I tell you, this is my favorite level. The 50% also matters. But 0.618, it is the golden ratio. It's weird how it just works the majority of the time. My hypothesis is that it's quant trading machines that are probably programmed to do this. I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. It's what the charts tell me. So obviously, that's why we point out the Fibonacci levels. That's on the weekly time frame. Just to remind you of that. So, so what's back. the chart telling us in, in the near future here? What, what, near I'm future, seeing some we're gaps. Seeing, I'm we're seeing, seeing some this, movements. We're seeing this move to the upside, right? And we're, we see that we're coming up against the down the, the long-term downtrend line. And obviously, we bounced off the gap, and we did a little peak above and pull back. So, you know, the next day or two to wrap up the week, we might literally just trade sideways or come up and just push against this resistance. Now, what I want to see is I want to see what price action does as we're getting into this little corner that we're actually entering into. Because... 
if the bulls can't overtake here, let me go back to my trend line. If the bulls can't overtake here and break through this downtrend line to make a move higher, and then we get a break through the bottom of the gap, then very well possibly, I mean, this 20 day moving average, the 100 day moving average, I would expect a first bounce down here at the 100 day be next resistant point. And if it continues to fall for whatever reason it might be, I mean, Yesterday, people were freaking out about the 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 Russian missile that landed in Poland, killing two people. Like, there, everybody's on edge, just looking for something to go wrong right now. So that's kind of where I'm like, okay, well, you know, let me see what price action does. Let me see how things unfold. And I don't know if you remember this, but last year, do you remember Thanksgiving week last year, the short and trading week, and how the day before Thanksgiving the market just collapsed? I do remember so that. Not saying yeah. that's going to happen again, but the short trading week. Could definitely be a factor next week. So keep that in mind, guys. Um, so that it could honestly go either way here. And that's why it's just kind of like at this point, sit on hands, SOH, sit on your hands, wait to see where the price action takes. If we break through, then you'll see more short covering coming into the market. That's probably where we'll fill the gaps uh, going up toward the 200 day moving average again. If not, we'll see the rotation late, rotation down. And actually, let me just pull a quick Fibonacci level for you here. So if I come to the bottom and come to the most recent high here, I mean, your first level of res true resistance, probably 20, yeah, 20. And we could possibly go back here to 38.2, which brings it down to about 380. Um, the other side of that is we're coming into the end of the year and we're going to have people start coming out with their projections of earnings for next year, right? So if earnings start coming down, obviously you'll see the multiple of the market pull back as well. So that's something to keep in mind. Jumping over to the cues for the tech sector, obviously we saw the bounce off the 0.618 move from the COVID lows to the COVID highs, 0.618. <laughs> I love it when it works. Um, bouncing right here at resistance zone of the 100-day moving average, we do have a gap below the market. Remember, I mean, the nice thing is that the bond market has kind of stabilized a little bit. It's starting to, you know, anything can happen. But after the CPI print had the massive drop in the yield for the 10-year Obviously, that affects the market here as well. It's pulling mortgage rates down a little bit in the real estate sector. People are starting to think that they can figure it out. Um, keep an eye on that. And then here we go on the Russell. Again, downtrend line, bouncing right off the downtrend line and the 200-day moving average, consolidating a little bit around the 200-day moving average. So that's where it's like, this could really go either way. And that's where it's just like, don't mm. take a play if you don't have to, if you're doing a trade. Um, Long-term investments, think about them. Have your checklist ready, obviously. But we did fill that gap as well as hit a resistance zone here. If we can't break through, I would expect a pullback here to about the 180 level where you have the 100-day and the 20-day moving averages kind of consolidating here about to cross. Um, and that's a look what, at your What is market. that from like a percentage perspective? I'm trying to look at these numbers on the side. What is maybe call it? From where we are now? Uh, yeah. 3%. Got it, got it, got it. okay, right okay. This is for the Russell, right? So remember this is small caps. Correct, correct. So, and that's the overall look in the market. Obviously, hope you guys get some insight and value out of that. Um, moving on, though, because we have something new we want to try with you all today that are hanging out with us. We have a poll. We've got a question. Questions. I like questions. If you're all looking at your screen. We want you to answer this question. Josh, can you go ahead and throw the poll up for everybody? Where do you think the market is headed by the end of the year? Oh, Higher I know my answer to this. Higher or lower? Let us know, everybody. Play a little jam while they're, while they're answering. There we go. But what was the, the, the Jeopardy jam, right? It was like the doo doo oh, doo. We need one of those. Yeah, well, I like the stock market live jam. The stock market live jam is more meaningful, in my opinion, right? We got the, the vibes. Go. And I just want to remind you. Josh, you want to go ahead and in that poll, show us the results. What do we got going on? Do people think that the market's going higher or lower? We need to see some data here. 67% wow. higher, 33% say that they expect the market to go lower by the end of the year. So I've got to ask you, Austin, was that what you would have, uh, you would have expected? Market no, rallies? I mean, well, Lost okay. So expected, I feel like I could expect people to think that it would go higher, right? We've seen a lot of momentum recently. We've saw that, you know, we, we, we saw the, um, the inflation kind of pivot a little bit from, from a super, super running to like, yeah, we might now get a little bit lighter, nothing too crazy. So I could see how people could have that argument for sure. Uh, earnings are coming in there. They, they seem fine. Right. But I would imagine in, in just in my humble opinion, I, I don't think uh, that we are, I think we're headed lower, but again, only time will tell only time will tell. I think, I think long-term we're heading lower. I think short-term 
we're probably in the perfect seasonal. There's a lot of, there's a lot of little moments, seasonality, you know, traders at, at big institutions trying to salvage their job if they've underperformed this year. Like there's a lot of different reasons that are stacking up right now that you're like, okay, I could see another bear market rally, but I think long-term we're still heading lower, but it's just my opinion, not investment advice, as you know. Um, let's go ahead and get into initial thoughts, shall we? Bearish let's do it. Like- Before we do that though, I just want to remind everyone that there is a 100 emoji in the chat. So when you're listening to this on your podcast and you can't see the chat, I just want to remind you, there's the 100 emoji. It's got a 100 with two lines underneath of it. Put that in the podcast review and we'll know that you're a real one. 100. <laughs> Don't ever say that. That was from my childhood growing up. 100. I grew up in Duval. All right. All right. So let me kick us off. Let me kick us off, Daniel. Um, so let me get your initial thought on this, Daniel. Right. So, so Target reported their earnings results. And a part of that earnings results, um, they talked about shrinkage, right? This is shoplifting. And they said that year to date, right? So this is through Q3, they experienced four. $100 million worth of organized shoplifting, and they expect it to peak at $600 million during the entire year here of 2022, right? So $600 million worth of merchandise off the books from uh, shoplifters, organized shoplifting. So one, I want to get your thoughts. Is this a larger problem? You know, are, are retailers experience this at large, you believe, and they're just not talking about it? And, and you know, this other thing is, what do you think Target's going to do? Are they going to be able to combat this somehow? Or is this just going to be a, a write-off every year now for the company? All right. So part one was, is this a larger problem? Is that right? Larger problem? Yes. And, and, and I mean, it's, it's nothing that's going to be solved right away anyways, but it is a problem. It's probably going to get worse as we're seeing the contraction of what's happening in the economy. You got to keep that in mind. Um, specifically for Target, I think it's just currently it's the nature of the beast, right? They're going to have to a lot on their line items for a markdown. They're, they're just going to have to eat it, right? I mean, because at the same time, it's like, all these businesses, by the way, I mean, from the top down, typically when they're, they're hired, employees are hired, HR-wise and stuff, they're taught, like, if somebody's running out of the store, don't chase them. If you're working a cash register and somebody comes and holds you up, give them the money, right? It's all about protecting the employee's safety and their health. So it's kind of like, if somebody does it, they do it. They're just going to have to write it down. I, I agree with that. And I think Craig, you know, he's got a good point here. Until the penalties for theft get tougher, it will increase. That reminds me, wasn't there? You're going to take it of- back. If you get caught okay. for stealing, your hands are cut off. <laughs> Isn't that what they did in history? Right. That's what, that, that's what, that's what it used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. You, you lie, your tongue gets cut off. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, you know, it, it reminds me, wasn't it in 2020 or something, 2021, we saw in the state of California where you can steal up to like a thousand dollars or something and, and it's only like a misdemeanor or, or something. So everyone was going to these CVSs and these Walgreens and just taking everything and walking out. It's crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy. And I'm hoping though that Target's going to be able to, to figure out this problem. I shop there religiously. I love shopping at Target. Um, it's, it's, it's wild. And, you know, not just for the, the sake of the investors, but, you know, for the sake of just humanity, like I don't want people shoplifting, right? Just it's, That's it's something wild. blockchain's going to fix. Sorry. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, hold let's on. Let's move on. No, let's move forward. Come on. All right. Well, speaking of blockchain, uh, FTX has collapsed. Um, it's it's causing a lot of hedge funds and, and other exchanges to be caught with their pants down. The question I have for you, and I don't mean this to be insensitive, but it's where my head goes, right? In the long term, is this collapse of FTX good or bad? Right. So like, think about like, you know, regulations, we could think about like, you know, maybe adoption and awareness, like think, think about it from that perspective. And I know, you know, there's a lot of people who lost a lot of money and I'm really, you know, remorseful for that. And I feel terrible a hundred percent. And I have very close friends who lost money as well, but I, I guess I don't know. I'm trying to make light of the situation, but I do want to get your thoughts on as an industry, could this be what needed to happen to move us in the right direction from a regulatory perspective or, or any other kind of, idea that a non-Bitcoiner like yourself has? So I have an opinion just because I spoke to Omid, right? Because this was a question we asked him yesterday. It needed to happen. Um, Also, it's just a perfect reminder for everybody to know your investment risks, 
right? Don't utilize money. How how many times have you heard don't utilize money in crypto that you can't afford to lose? Right. That, and this is one of the reasons why it's so early. It's so new. And so when, we, when I was talking with Omid yesterday, he was bringing up like think about WorldCom early on in the internet. Um, I brought up the metaphor of Enron. The, the difference is like, is crypto and blockchain now the new internet? And did this happen early on so that people could see where things need to head from here when it comes to do tokens even matter? What are, why let an exchange hold your coins, have it in your own wallet, like figure out the actual process. And then everybody's going to reference this moment in time, right? Like the amount of celebrities and the amount of um, influential people that Sam Bankman fraud um, lost all their money from. I mean, it's just like, this needed to happen. Yes. Feel sorry for the people a little bit honestly, a little bit. But I think innovation is going to come out of this because now from here on out, every investor is going to double check and triple check and quadruple check. Because the other thing was like the investment rounds. This guy was raising investment rounds at crazy evaluations. It's just like, oh, well, so-and-so hedge fund invested. So why would you? Oh, you want to look at our books? Uh, we don't want your money then. Like the, the conversations just probably didn't make sense and people were just throwing money because other people threw money and they were like well tiger global maybe or SoftBank or da, 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 da. like no do your own due diligence um so i will yeah. commend to that point i will commend i think i saw something where chamath uh in, in his fund was going wanting to invest in, in ftx international or us or whatever and he said yeah we want to but for us to actually invest you need a board of directors we want to see abc xyz uh, we don't see any of that right now. So like, you know, if you want our money, we want to invest, obviously, but if you want our money, we need to see those things. And Sam was just like, piss off, dude, kick rocks, right? I don't care. I don't need your money. Everyone else is going to give me money regardless. And it's also weird that like more and more is coming to light. Like I, I haven't dove all the way through everything that's happened, but like Alameda research that no one knew about until just the other week is like, oh, wait, the girl that he has over there running that is like a girlfriend that he got from New York and her dad is this guy at MIT and used to be in with the Federal Reserve. And it's like this weird connection of web going on and you're like, all right, this is shady. Like, I, nobody's going to give that guy money again. Yeah, no, and, and you know, we've we've seen this online and I'll say it, you know, he, Sam Bakeman fraud is the, I think I saw the second largest donor to the, the Democrat party. He donated $40 million for midterms or, you know, during the midterm elections. Um, and that's not to say one thing or anything about political stuff, I don't care, but I think it's very interesting that the money that he was making was going to political efforts, right? One, one side of the aisle or the other. It's just, uh, it's, it's wild, man. And it's, it's really frustrating, though, because as someone who has been in cryptocurrency for several years, the first thing I do is, even yesterday, right, I bought my chain link on Coinbase Pro, and then I moved it right to my wallet. Yeah, I, just, I move it right off. It's just like, you know, natural. I just think about that. But unfortunately, that it, it, maybe it's not taught. Maybe it's not brought awareness of. And, and I think for the, the longer idea and this longer term thinking of, you know, was this collapse, you know, as we saw with Enron, right? Could this be good from a regulation perspective and an awareness perspective? I am hoping that, you know, that could be the silver lining to this uh, tragedy. Duly noted. All right. Uh, last one I want to ask you about, and this is actually, I feel really passionate about this, Daniel. So I, I'd love to get your thoughts. Elon Musk sent an email last night to his Twitter employees uh, stating there's going to be long hours of high intense work ahead for them. This immediately makes me think of the tech talent bloat that we saw during COVID and that we're still sort of seeing, right? We saw an activist investor come in with uh, Google saying, you guys got to start figuring it out. You hired 30,000 people. What's going on, right? Um, what's your perspective on this? Are, are, are tech companies now going to run more lean? Is Elon going to be the new example of how lean, mean, and, and profitable you can run a tech company? Or is this him just being an asshole? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, the guy owns a business that's not making money right now. Like he has to do anything within his power to turn the ship around. And it's, hey, you have an employment contract that you signed starting to work for this company saying you can work up to 40 hours a week. You better be in the office for 40 hours a week. Like if you don't like it, you can leave. And also he included, you get three months severance on the way out. Like he wants people that are dedicated to help turn this business around. And it's kind of like, you know, do you, I mean, that's for everybody to make their own decisions on, but like, 
do you believe in the project? Do you think you can turn around? Do you, are you there for the salary? Everybody has different reasons, you know? So I'm not sure he's like just being a complete jerk with it, but will other technology companies replicate this model? I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't see that happening. I wonder though, if there's going to be a day, and I think I saw this on the all in podcast, but you know, I, so credit to them, but I wonder if there's going to be a day where Twitter has some sort of here are our books or we IPO again, or whatever, some sort of transaction happens where they have to disclose publicly a lot of this information and investors ears perk up and they say, whoa, how is Twitter running at X percent gross profit margins? That's twice as much as it was before. Does that mean that if someone comes in and cleans, you know, cleans house that Alphabet could do that, that Microsoft could do that, that Apple could do that or any other tech company for that matter, right? I think, I think it's, it's just a really interesting thought idea to imagine a life where tech companies are as profitable as they possibly can be versus trying to retain obviously very talented uh, engineers and things of that nature through different perks and salaries and bonuses or those are obviously in, in into the margins. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's a very good point. And we'll, we'll see, right? I mean, for Apple, it's, it's, <laughs> I think you just mentioned the salaries and perks and the stock compensations. Like Apple's AR division that they're working on is paying crazy salaries and crazy amount of stock compensation right now just to retain that talent. But that's because they're working on a project that has the potential to pay off. So I think what you're going to see is like these tech companies start to maybe cut out those projects and whoever's associated, hey, either find a new place in the company or we got to let you go or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. All right. I want to get into three items with you real quick so we can dive on in. I've got other one other observation I want to share with everybody too. I want to get your thoughts. But first up, Marvel's Black Panther opened in theaters last week into the second biggest opening for a movie this year, only behind another Marvel movie, which was Doctor Strange, the sequel of it. So Wakanda Forever bought, brought in $180 million domestically, not including the additional $150 million it brought in internationally. So bullish or bearish on movie theaters and their corresponding stocks? Ooh, I like this question, right? I think this comes back to what we were talking about with Disney and the fact where, you know, are they going to have these AR, VR things? Well, no, like sure, that can supplement the experience, but they're still going to want to go to those parks, right? So I think that to that point, there's going to be, and there still is a lot of people who are diehard fans of these uh, movie, uh, what was it called? The catalogs or, or the uh, franchises, the movie franchises. There are some diehard fans of these movie franchises. And in my humble opinion, the movie franchise, we're going to see a consolidation in movies, right? I think when I was growing up, we saw like, you know, this movie came out of this movie came out of, and it was just like ideas and funny, you know, things, but it wasn't like Disney. It wasn't, I don't know, Pixar. It wasn't this or that. I think in the probably the next several years, we'll see a consolidation where a lot of the movies coming out are going to be these big movie franchise names. The I think you said Wakanda for I haven't seen any of these movies. It was a Black Panther and then uh, the Doctor Strange, whoever that guy is. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's what's going to what's going to take place here. And uh, the people who love it, assuming you do, if you just you know shake your head at me for not knowing who that is. Dude, um, I am I a movie buff through and through. You got to think about before my career seeking alpha, I was working in L.A. doing TV and film like that is right. I get I, it. I, I got I I to ask you, like, are you saying the movie consolidation will happen specifically for the, the movies that are released in theaters um, or overall? I think I think I think overall, but I wonder. Um, so, for, you know, for the theater stock specifically, is this bullish or bearish for them? Uh, I'd, I'd still, I still, I'm kind of neutral. I, I don't think that we're going to see a cool run through, and everyone's run into the movie theaters anymore. Like, I, just, I think that's kind of over. I think streaming has done has eaten into that. I, I, I just, I haven't gone to a movie since I was in high school. Full stop. What? Um, a movie theater. I know, I know. I just whatever. And that was again, oh. I'm 26, so that would have been over 10 years ago. But on top of that, there are people who still love to go to the movies. They love the experience. My girlfriend's one of them. She's like, babe, let's go watch a scary movie in the theaters. I'm like, I don't want to do that. So there, you know, I think it's going to be a, a real steady stream. But what will be interesting to me is what happens when a Disney or Pixar or Marvel, I don't know, whatever, um, is able to create their own movie theater franchise, right? Where everything is themed Disney. And it's always Disney movies coming out. And maybe it's Disney snacks or Disney experiences. I think that could be pretty interesting. Um, but generally speaking for movie theaters, I'm kind of just like this emoji, you know? All right. I mean, look, I'll take, I take the other side of that. Right. So it's like, I get you, I get what you're saying about consolidation. I think it'll happen with movie theaters. 
But I think with streaming is you're actually going to get more IP release. You're going to get more content because it's going to go back to like what you were talking about back in the 90s. I mean, you got to think about like Touchstone Pictures and all these other arms that were underneath the umbrella of the major company. And they were putting out those mid-tier movies at the time where the budgets were maybe $20, $40 million, which really wasn't possible until recently. It had to be a big blockbuster with a budget of $100 million plus, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, where I think streaming has kind of changed that game a little bit. And you're seeing it with Netflix and a couple of the other players. But we'll see. I want to ask everybody that's joining right now, like, let me know in the chat box. Please give me some validation. Are you guys still going to the movie theaters? Because I personally (laughs) love going to movies. And when I hear Austin say this, like, I don't know, man. We can't be friends anymore. Oh, come on. Dude, no, Norm's no, Vita's yes. No, Tanya's no. Oh, my goodness, man. No from a Richard, no Dan. I'm seeing more no's than yeses, y'all. I think I think I uh I I think I'm on very little. Okay. No from Josh too. (laughs) Josh in the back, man. Daniel. Uh, oh my gosh sad right now all right moving on november university of michigan consumer sentiment number came out last friday came in at 54.7 it was expected to be 59.6 and for reference back in october it was 59.9 so it's seeing a pullback also the year ahead inflation expectations released were 5.1 percent which is up from five percent previously also the surveys of consumer director joanne husu said all components of the index declined from last month, but buying conditions for durables, which had markedly improved last month, decreased most sharply in November, falling back 21% on the basis of high interest rates, as well as continued higher prices. So seeing that huge pullback in the consumer sentiment numbers, got to ask you, are you bullish or bearish on peak inflation being behind us and seeing how the interest rates are reacting and the Fed moves and everything that goes into this? Hmm. So my initial thought is I don't think peak inflation is behind us. Um, and I, unfortunately, for a lot of people, including myself, right, I'm a consumer, um, I think inflation is going to linger longer than we thought. I think that what is, I don't think we're going to see true inflation moving to the downside until things get bad. And I don't think things have gotten bad yet, to be quite honest with you, Daniel. Um, you know, to this idea of interest rates rising, it's, I think we talked about this, um, you know, I had, I, I knew someone who was going to put, you know, charge on their credit card and they decided not to do it because of the, the credit card interest rate went from like, you know, 22% to 36% year over year. It's like, wow, why, why is this happening? And, and, you know, my, my dad was going to buy a used car, but then he saw the financing was like 10 and a half percent. He's like, what the hell is this? Right. And so I, I think what's what I think people are becoming to the realization that things are coming, other things are getting bad and, and, you know, demand destruction is becoming to be more apparent, but I don't think it's really begun to really hit that velocity. Like, you know, when you like come out of like the the uh, Earth's gravitational pull, and you're like going into space. I don't think we've seen that kind of hit velocity yet with uh, demand destruction. I think it's happening uh, soon, right? I think it's going to be very, you know, much more apparent by the beginning of Q2, beginning of Q3 of next year. But true demand destruction that is moving inflation other way, you know, the other way, the the way that we want it to be moved. I, I don't think that's happening just yet. Nah, that's a good point. So I was I was asking, and this came across. So I just saw Michael Burry tweeted out recently. Oh my gosh, yes. He was like, you don't know how short I am, right? Obviously, it's 13F season right now. All the hedge funds with over $100 million are releasing their holdings and the moves they made last quarter, and they don't report what they're short on. Um, but for him to tweet, you don't know how short I am. I mean, the guy that caused the housing bubble, seeing where we're are, we are right now in the market and the technicals and everything else, you you kind of form this picture going oh, how bad can next year actually get with demand destruction and and consumer sentiment? Like once we see consumer sentiment hit below that 50 number, pretty much meaning, hey, we're not in expansion anymore, contraction, like this is getting really bad. All cards for soft landing are off the table, right? Straight hard landing. How bad is it going to be? How bad are home values going to go down? How many people are going to be unemployed? Like it's just going to, that's going to be a waterfall cascade effect if that happens. So I had to ask you. All right, third up, and then we get to uh, moving on. Uh, NVIDIA and Microsoft just announced today a partnership to build a massive cloud AI supercomputer. It'll be powered by Microsoft Azure infrastructure and running on NVIDIA's GPUs, networking and full stack of AI software to help enterprises train, deploy, and scale AI. Are you bullish or bearish on that? 
Hella bullish. That's awesome. I, that's news to me. That sounds like a really cool idea. I think NVIDIA is one of the best in the game, as is Microsoft, right? And if they could pull together the processing power with the awesome platforms and the ability to, you know, the utility with Microsoft Azure. Um, yeah, that's great. I'm here for it. Good for them. Sweet. That's a that's a bullish take right there. All right. That's bullish or bearish initial thoughts. Let's move on. I, okay, so we talk about stock ownership and the filings all the time. And I'm always on Seeking Alpha, going to that ownership section, looking at the SEC filings. And I got to point pinpoint one out to you. I want to hear your thoughts because I was going down the rabbit hole with this. And I just want to highlight it for everybody as well. Maybe this is something that interests you. So we kind of heard of this company before, Datadog. If you don't know, now you know. Ticker symbol DDOG. And I was scrolling. So if you don't know, you can scroll down the symbol page here. You got the SEC filings, ownership. And I see that there were two recently filed ownership uh, amendments. So I clicked through, oh, here's a quick overview. So Datadog, this is kind of what they do. They kind of do like overall analytics and, and checking of your full stack of your software for an operational of the company. And apparently, I mean, the company is apparently doing everything right. They have massive amounts of, it's well over a thousand customers that are paying over a hundred thousand dollars in the ARR every, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So anyways, here's the forms, the, the form four. And I noticed it was from this guy, Matthew Jacobson. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, you know, director, he's, he's doing all this acquiring of the stock around the 68, 69, $70 area. Of course, you have to form, you, you have to put in the form and, and you can kind of see what he was using to buy. He's got all these different, like, I don't know if these are funds or what he's got going on here. So I was like, hold on a second. Okay, so he did it on uh, November 7th. He bought a lot. November 9th, he bought even more. Same kind of price range. I'm like, who is this guy? Matthew Jacobson. So he runs Iconic, or he's a partner at Iconic Icon IQ Capital. And so I clicked on his LinkedIn. I was like, oh, look at this guy. Okay, Iconic Capital. Oh, he's a board member of Datadog. Oh, he's a board member of GitLab. Oh, he's a lead investor in Series D and E of Snowflake. Mm. Oh, he's, he's like, I'm like, oh, you've piqued my interest. And so I'm kind of wondering your thoughts, like. Is this something that somebody should be getting excited about? Yes. And we've had this conversation before, right? People sell stock for any reason. I know I worked at a publicly traded company. I asked our CIO why he sold 3 million in stock. He said, I wanted to pay off my house. Like that, like full stuff. I want to go buy a new Audi, right? Sell stock for whatever reason. Not because they're bearish on the company, but you buy stock for one reason, Daniel. And that's because you think it's going to go up and because you're excited about the company and what they're doing as a board member of Datadog, as a board member of, I'm sure you know, said GitLab and as a you know, early investor in Snowflake, he's seeing what's going on with the other companies, the landscapes, the momentum perhaps of what's going on with the industry around data and analytics. Um, and I, I, that's awesome. I, I think this is a reason to get excited. And so the other thing I have to point out, so I was like, all right, well, let's go look at the chart of Datadog. I like to look at technicals, right? So I come back here. I'm like, oh, the stock's been in a downtrend, like the overall market. Uh, there's a gap down here below the market. And then I was like, wait, what is, I started looking at the dates here. So you can see the dates up here above the chart. And I was looking at the dates and I was like, holy cow, did this guy time his purchases perfectly? So here we are right where my cursor is. That's November 7th, dropped down a little bit more. Two days later, he bought more. And can I, I kid you not, let's, let's take it from the top of this, this, uh, little bar right here. What is that an earnings? Huh? Is that an earnings jump right there? Is that why it moved up so much? No, earnings were announced before the jump. Why the heck did it jump? That's crazy. So it jumped. The dude is already up 20% on his on his purchases. Like talk about timing the market. Now, That's granted, wild. it can go back down. I mean, now we have this gap and everything. But I'm just like, like I'm wondering for myself, is this is this the company I want to be in? Like, is this a great buying opportunity, right, for this company? And maybe we can cover that in a future episode and learn more about the company and, and everything that it does and all of its customers and everything. Um, actually, let us know in the chat right now. Would you be interested if we covered Datadog? Because if you are, we'll do it for you. Um, all right, so I just had to bring that up. You know, little observation moment in the market. Now- Yeah, that was great. That was great. I love it. Let's, uh, let's move on. I think we need to go into the analysis time. It, we, let's, like let's jump in analysis. Before, before we jump in analysis, before we do, Daniel, I want to- are we on I gotta let them know. Wavelength? I gotta let them know. I just want everyone to tune We're in on the right same now. Wavelength right now. We are, man. We with same yeah. wavelength and same same hair product, right? That that's <laughs> best friends forever. If I ever heard of it. Um, as you guys know, I create personal finance and investing content on TikTok. I share my ideas on Twitter. I share my ideas with you here on uh, Seeking Alpha all the time. We do these deep dive 
analytical research. We, we're looking at uh, different types of fundamental analysis. We're looking at different types of secular growth trends, all the fun things to help navigate investment decisions. And so I have launched a Seeking Alpha Marketplace where my team and I share macroeconomic deep dives, stock analysis. We're hosting live streams every Monday night, and we provide other commentary to help our community navigate this weird uncertain uh, times that, that we're experiencing right now in the stock market and uh, in, in the economy, right? So there's a link in the show notes. I'll let Daniel kind of throw it in here in the, uh, in the chat. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Josh. I see that there. It's called Cashflow Freaks because we're freaky excited about cash flow. We're talking about companies who are paying those dividends, who are raking up the uh, raking in the cash flow, free cash flow specifically, because we all know free cash flow per share is a wonderful driver of stock price. And if you want to learn more, there's uh, the website to go check that out. And uh, I, I appreciate the interest. Thanks, everyone, for the uh, the little shameless plug there. <laughs> Dude, no kidding. No, look, guys. I mean, if you've never read Austin's content, I mean, it, it is literally superior to probably anything you'll read anywhere. Like, and I kid you not, like, I'm not just saying that, like I read a ton of the different services we have on Seeking Alpha with the marketplace services and like even the contributor articles, I'm reading stuff all the time. And it's not only does Austin give you his viewpoint, but he backs it up with data and the charts and everything else. And so it's definitely worth a read. Are you doing a, a trial? I am. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. So you get two two weeks of trial. You have no money out of your pocket, nothing to worry about there. Um, and you try it out for two weeks. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, no hard feelings. We're reworking the model portfolio. I'm still kind of, you know, working the kinks out when it comes to, uh, you know, working the chat and understanding how to communicate with everyone in an effective manner. But regardless, I'm here. We're all hanging out. And uh, I'd love for you all to join us. I mean, dude, that's another selling point. I didn't even think about that. I mean, I'm not, you, they get to talk to you 24-7. Here, they only get to talk to you for an hour once a week, get you for 24-7. I, I mean, what else could you want? Um, all right, cool. So go check it out. Cashflow Freaks. Cashflow Freaks on Seeking Alpha Marketplace. And now let's dive in. Two stocks. Let's let's, two, two of them, stocks. Daniel. I'm, we're not doing guests of stock because there's two. They're competitors. They both are in the sports and outdoor space. They are retailers. And those two companies today are Dick's Sporting Goods. An Academy Outdoor Sports Incorporated. Did I say that right? I think, I think it's right. Academy Sports, Academy Sports and, outdoors. and Outdoors Incorporated. That's yeah. right. All right. So let's go ahead. You want to give them a quick overview of these two companies? Yes. So to compare these two companies, we first need to understand what they do and how they make their money. So both of these companies are these retail first sellers of sporting goods. Think fitness equipment, golf equipment, hunting and fishing gear, apparel, as well as footwear. Um, I think a good way to compare the companies just like off the rip is by thinking of their size, right? So Dick's Sporting Goods is operating 860 retail locations across the country. And you compare that to the 261 retail locations Academy is operating themselves, which means that Dick's footprint is roughly three times larger than Academy's. But the question is, are they making three times as much money? So last quarter, Dick's reported total revenue of $3.1 billion. You compare this to Academy's revenue of $1.7 billion during the same period of time, which means despite having three times the footprint, Dix isn't even making twice the revenue. So why is that? Before we dive into that, we have a lot to share, but let's talk more specifically about their recent quarterly earnings, give you the you know, kind of kind of lay the table here. So Dix had revenue of $3.1 billion uh, in, in Q3. You compare that to, um, or during the last quarter, rather, you compare that to $3.3 billion during the same time last year. So things kind of contracted. Operating income of $460 million compared to $664 million last year. Lots of contraction. Profits of $319 million compared to $496 million last year also saw contraction. What about Academy Sports? So Academy Sports saw revenue of $1.7 billion compared to $1.8 billion last year, about flat. Uh, operating income of $257 million compared to $255 million last year, up slightly, and then profits of 189 million compared to 190 million light, uh, last year, also flat. So interestingly enough, Dix doesn't seem to be trending in the right direction financially when compared to Academy Sports. So who at first glance instead seems to be maintaining and growing their margins and moving uh, in the right direction. So the real question, right? What's going on here? Which company is exciting? What's up with this footprint? Who's making the more money? Like, like what's what, what are we getting into? So let's actually jump in with a chart. Josh, do you mind snagging? Uh, assuming you guys snag the chart from the... Yep. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Love it. 
So these charts are going to show you uh, some information. Right back, Bank of America shared a report with us on November 14th that detailed the spending activity at these types of retailers, right? So just sporting good retailers, not specifically Dick's or Academy, just sporting goods, uh, during the month of October. And according to the report, spending at sporting goods was down 8% in October, which was worse than the 7.3 deceleration we saw in September. Remember, this is year over year deceleration. However, spending is still up. Um, 38.5% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and this is up even further against the 35% growth in September that we saw versus pre-pandemic levels. And now you're saying, Austin, where is the spending data coming from? It's coming from Bank of America credit cards and debit cards, right? So this is real spending data. Uh, the next chart is a really cool comparison. I think, uh, yeah, I'll go forward. Let's, uh, the next slide, uh, maybe not. Okay, maybe y'all didn't snag that one. Uh, that's okay. So long story short, the 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 chart I'm I'm kind of alluding to here is a it, it just shows the correlation between the spending data and the comparable sales at these stores, right? And long story short, it's very close. The comparable sales and the spending data go hand in hand. It's nearly a one to one correlation. Hey, Josh, so which, you should have that chart, by the way, if you restart the uh, slide. Oh, perfect. Yeah, slide two. Um, but anyway, so it just shows data is very correlated, which means that theoretically speaking, if Bank of America's report is correct on the sporting goods spending, then you know maybe Dick's Sporting Goods and Academy might see some comparable year-over-year -year contraction. There we go. Yeah, so that's um, Academy Sports. We can see how closely it is there to the Bank of America spending data and their comps. And then maybe the next chart is also going to show you Dick's Sporting Goods. Assume and go to the next slide. It's not up yet. Keep going. It's all good. Um, so I share this data in the graphs on screen just to preface this analysis. There's clear correlation. And um, with that being said, if the Bank of America spending data is pointing toward contraction in spending, that might be foreshadowing what could be around the corner for these companies. So let's kick off this analysis uh, specifically with Dix, right? So what's the deal here? Why did their stock price see such momentum um, going into 2020 and 2021? And does the recent rally from the low in June actually have legs? So starting with the obvious uh, sell-off catalyzed by the pandemic, you know, we had this March of 2020 sell-off. Dix actually reported earnings like right at the bottom there, which was pretty cool. And so that was a cool little bounce for them to, to get the recovery uh, started. The earnings they shared were very positive, right? Comparable sales were up 4% for the year of 2019, 5% for the quarter. Gross uh, margins were up 30 basis points. Profits were up 14%. And the best part was Dix spent all of 2019 repurchasing their own stock to the tune of 11.1 million shares. That's like 15% of outstanding shares at the time. It was wild. The company then smashed their Q2 2020 earnings expectations, officially giving their stock the momentum it needed to begin moving in the right direction. Uh, comparable sales were up 20%. Earnings per share came in at $3.12 versus the $1.20 expected. That's nearly 20, I'm sorry, $2 of earnings per share higher than, than their expectations. The opening, right? People were jumping on this. And this was a lot of e-commerce fueled, right? A lot of people are saying, let me go buy those baseball bats and the soccer balls so I can get outside. So now we fast forward 12 months and we saw continued execution by their management team. 2021 turned out to be an awesome year for the company with revenue surging 28% and profits skyrocketing 157%. 2022 was also shipping up to be a solid year, but uncertainty and doubt was on the horizon. The company definitely benefited from the let's all go outside again spending we saw in the post-COVID world, but how will this company shape up as trends begin to normalize again in 2023? So let's walk through a few reasons why you might be excited uh, as an investor to hold Dick's Sporting Goods stock. The first reason is Dix has done a wonderful job expanding the gross profit margins post-pandemic from 28% to 37%. This is being continually boosted by their private label vertical brand assortment, you know, the private t-shirts and the private shoes and soccer balls, right? These are private label in-house brands and there's 14 of them. Dix is crushing it. These are higher margin products, right? The second reason is improved digital capabilities, allowing the company to connect more effectively with a wider range, a wider range of customers. Uh, the next is the company's exit from the hunting category two years ago. This was sort of controversial, but it's still playing dividends uh, to, to their company's bottom line because they now use this uh, shelf space to sell higher margin products, specifically outdoor cooking and pickleball of all things. 
Um, Dix also launched, this is the, the last reason, they launched 30 stores called Going Going Gone. These are um, markdown stores. These are places that have clearance sales, allowing them a physical location specifically created to help with clearance inventory. This gives their flagship stores, right? Now more room to sell full priced items, boosting those margins even higher. So uh, those are a couple of reasons to be excited. And a reason, I guess, to be on the sidelines comes back to what we just saw with the spending data with Bank of America. Um, we might get into a couple more reasons here later, but I'd want to move on and definitely introduce Academy Sports to you all, make sure we're on the same page with that. So Academy Sports actually IPO'd in 2020. They're a relatively new company and they IPO'd for, for only $13 and now they're trading at nearly 50 despite all the volatility we've seen this year. So as I shared before, the company's footprint is much smaller than Dex, but despite the smaller footprint, they're moving inventory, right? Generating $1.7 billion in revenue during Q3. And to put that in perspective, that's six and a half million dollars in revenue per store per quarter, right? $25 million a year per store. You compare that to the only 3.6 million with Dex, right? Half of that, nothing. Right, they're crushing it. So similar to Dex, 2022 was a strong year for the company. And despite reporting comparable sales declining 6% against tough 2021 comps, profits beat expectations. Their gross profit margins expanded by roughly 1% uh, because of their better and best categories. They were really leaning into the different pricing here. Probably the most exciting news I've read about Academy Sports is their intention to increase the footprint by 30%. Over the next five years, this would add an additional $2 billion in annual revenue to their income statement, potentially translating into some intense free cash flow per share growth. So why would an investor be excited about Academy over Dix? Well, Academy has done a wonderful job positioning themselves as the local sporting goods hub. That's the, the keyword here is local. We'll get into why that's so important, but their product offerings are very region specific, giving them an advantage over the cookie cutter products you might see at Dick Sporting Goods or other sporting goods stores, right? Very local, local and hyper-personalized to their location. Second is their e-commerce business has ample room to grow as it only represented 10% of total sales last quarter. Third is there is absolutely potential for the company to continue expanding that footprint, right? We talked about that 30% growth. We love that. Um, that's going to help with sell-through rates per square foot. Uh, they're, they're crushing that. And again, you know, same reasons to be on the sidelines as, as we saw with Bank of America, spending patterns, things of that nature. I know I just talked a lot. That was a lot of analysis. Daniel, I have an let idea. Me, yeah, let me let me sum it up though, because there's like between these two companies, because a lot of the, the stuff you were talking about is also what I was going to mention as well is like, this boils down to how many stores do you have? What's your inventory levels? What's your debt load on the company, which I'll point out here in a second as well. And I mean, like you mentioned, the outdoor spending is, in a, is kind of peaked, if you want to say it that way. We experienced the peak. They're going through the, the pullback now. Obviously, school's in session. People have already bought their kids all their gear or, or you know, sports. Mm -hmm. coming out. Um, the, the, the footprint. And, and I'm glad you brought up the Dick Sporting Goods stores because uh, let me go to my research right here. They have 861 stores in operation in 47 states with comparable store sales up 25% year over year. 70% uh, of Dick Sporting Goods e-commerce is fulfilled by their stores, pays to have a footprint. And then 110 of those are specialty stores, like you were talking about with the the, gone, the going, going, gone. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. So they're like outdoor kind of stores that they, you can go to Dick Sporting Goods stores now, put on shoes and go outside and run in the track, which is in, actually inside the store, but it's- I like that. I think that's pretty cool. They, they have that. They have uh, rock climbing walls that you can try rock climbing shoes there. They have golf simulators. Batting cages, golf simulators, The soccer. thing I like about Dicks is they're, one, well-established. They connect with the athletes early on through their, their charity program. They get kids to know the store mm -hmm, and the brand mm -hmm. and everything else like that. So that's a smart move. They're tied to a lot of professional athletes. They sell a lot of the higher-end products. And their partnerships run super deep, right? Didn't even talk about like the the, the Nike the Nike partnership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's huge, right? Where you can buy at either store and you earn for the membership. Um, actually, I want to point out too. Alex said uh, here in the chat, Dick tends to occupy higher dollar malls, and Academy is in lower tier malls in his experience. Um, thanks for sharing because I mean that's part of the. I think 
Academy has the opportunity here, I think is the way I would say it. Is Academy, like you're mentioning, they want to grow their front footprint. From what I just saw in the most recent earning calls, uh, their CFO, Michael McCollin, said we, they already announced plans to open 100 new stores within five years. Mm-hmm. That's going to be huge for them. And also, if you go and look at the balance sheet, they have drastically, drastically wiped out their debt. I mean, they they just still have a little bit of debt, but I mean, they they took a billion dollars of debt off of the balance sheet just last year. Um, so they're executing really well. Before we continue, I want to go ahead and go over to the charts, make sure people see the technical levels of what we're talking about on these two stocks. So first up is Dick Sporting Goods here. Obviously, uh, I've got a couple of things already pointed out here. So I drew the Fibonacci levels earlier. Of course, we saw the bounce here recently at the 0.618. Um, that was back in May. And then we've seen uh, this consolidation, which is, this isn't a gap, right? This is consolidation. So this is something that I'm watching. Obviously, there's a gap down right now. Um, and then what's this white dotted line? Well, that's just a support resistance line. And if you look at it, obviously, typically when when a price moves through resistance, it later on becomes support. And that's what you saw time and time again here. And then when it breaks through the support, it usually turns into resistance. But here, I mean, just massive rally consolidation, um, something to keep in mind. Like whenever a stock price consolidates, usually once it breaks that consolidation and whichever way it moves, it's going to move pretty significantly. And we're seeing a break now down here to the downside. So that's kind of something that's interesting to me right now. Um, I think the thing that's important to point out about Dick's Sporting Goods specifically is that they are pretty levered up right now. Uh, mm. They have quite a bit of debt on their balance sheet. And I think it's if uh, $4.43 billion in debt. Now, it's mostly long-term debt. Keep that in mind. But you're still paying interest on it. Their interest ex- interest expenses are increasing. And they have $1.9 billion in cash and equivalents on the balance sheet. So they're at $4.82 of free cash flow per share. Academy Sports, though, is at $5 of free cash flow per share. So they got pretty even there. They both have about the same amount of uh, outstanding float on the market right now. So that's just Dix. And then let's go over to Academy and see their stock. I mean, obviously, this one, as you mentioned, they just IPO'd here down at $12 not too long ago. So the stock just goes up. It's crazy, you know? It just, it just, I, I, I heard a lot of Academy Sports. Uh, advertisements on podcasts and it's crazy to see just like that's how I really came to know the company during the pandemic I just it's wild to see how this company has has favored so well despite all the volatility yeah Alex is asking here so well let me just read this off for everybody so that they understand for anybody listening in the podcast says middle class and upper middle class families probably buy more gear so dicks occupying higher end malls probably pays off at least with foot traffic if inflation continues, the question is, how much will these upper middle class families cut back? My experience is the last thing they'll cut back on is stuff for the kids. Alex, I think that's within reason. This is just my opinion, but I think it's within reason of what they're they're going to cut back on. Um, I mean, I'm not a parent myself, but if, you know, I can imagine having my nephews <laughs> through my sister, um, you know, parents want to get kids out of the house. They want them to go play. They want them to be in sports. You learn the team aspect and everything else, but also it's like, it just gets their energy out. So I think there's still going to be a little bit of spending within the sports arena, but it's just like, would you go then buy at Dick's or would you go to a place like Academy instead? And I think you're going to see, there's obviously price fluctuations. As you mentioned, Austin as well, they, they both have private labels and Academy's private labels are doing pretty dang well right now. Um, as well as Dick. So it's just something to keep inside. It's like, so private label at Academy is stuff like Freeleaf, Rightaway, Magellan Pro. Um, and they point that out on the earnings call time and time again about how those private labels are doing. Um, I mean, they talk, they talk on their partnerships, right? They Both companies have partnerships with companies like Yeti, right? And, and Yeti, of course, you can buy either way. Price stays the same and MSRP stuff. Um, but yeah, it's pretty interesting. The thing I want to point out about Academy for all the people that are into dividends Academy just started paying a dividend as well this year. Uh, granted, it's like seven cents. The yield is like 0.62%. Obviously, it's a growth company right now. Their their whole focus right now is let's just grow, let's grow, let's grow. Let's take market share. There's obviously players out there that we can disrupt with our products, our private label. We can become the next big player in this space. Dick Sporting Goods, on the other hand, has been around forever. And they have all their locations. And now what they need to do is really manage that debt with the inventory levels. Because from what I understand, their inventory levels are pretty high right now. Mm -hmm. And as we just heard, you brought up Target earnings earlier this morning is Target saying that they're expecting a decreased holiday shopping season. 
And if that affects Dick Sporting Good as well, then you're going to start seeing sale prices come through. They're going to have to move that inventory out and get ready for next year or, or the next season. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. I think I want to mention as well, they both have upcoming earnings announcements. Uh, Academies will be on, it's estimated to be on December 8th. They're expecting an earnings per share at $1.61 and revenue of $1.55 billion. And Dick Sporting Goods earnings will be on November 22nd. They're expecting earnings per share of $2.24 with revenue of $2.7 billion. So we'll get, we'll get some updates here shortly on both of these companies. But for me personally, and Austin, I'm sure you might feel the way, I, if I was to buy one of these two right now, 100% I would go into Academy. What about you? I'm so glad. I was really worried you're going to say Dick's. I was really worried. You're hyping them up there for a little bit. Don't get me wrong. Dick's sporting goods, in my opinion. We got, we got to talk to both sides. Yeah. No, I, I, I was wor- I'm on Academy team. I'm team Academy. Um, but I was, you know, I was looking into Dick's sporting goods during the pandemic. And what really got me excited about them were these like simulation things. You know, we're talking about like the, the golf simulations and the soccer and the batting cages and like all these really cool things to get kids to say, Oh, I'm going to buy that. Let me have that. That's so cool. And, and they, they, they've done a really good job to Alex's point here uh, in the chat, moving up kind of this value chain, right? I think Dick's sporting goods went from, you know, it's just a sporting goods store to now it's in the high end malls. Now they got the, the rock climbing. They got the people in the uniforms. Like it's pretty cool. But in my humble opinion, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, the, the future of Dix is, is grim. I'm not saying that at all. But I could see much more excitement, much more growth, much more earnings, compound earnings potential from Academy Sports. I agree. Josh, let's go ahead and go through the slides real quick. Make sure everybody knows where the rating summary are for these stocks and the factor grades. So first up, let's do Academy Sports and Outdoors. So Seeking Alpha authors currently have a buy rating. Wall Street analysts are a strong buy on the stock, and the quant rating is actually a strong buy on the stock as well. Let's go to the next slide, check out the factor grades. And you're looking at a valuation with a C-plus grade, a growth with an A-minus, profitability A-minus, momentum A, revisions A-plus. I mean, just breaking this down real quick. So it looks like it's fairly valued right now if you're looking at the C-plus grade. Growth is stellar beyond belief. Profitability is increasing and stellar beyond belief. Momentum to the upside, that's just tracking the moving averages and the stock price movement, obviously to the upside. And then revisions are just the earnings per share revisions that we're seeing across Wall Street. A-plus means that the majority of them are revising upwards on the revenue and EPS guidance. Let's go to the next slide. This was just something I pulled earlier. I completely forgot about. This is from... Uh, <laughs> most recent earnings deck, and I was just gonna point out is that, a, is that an action shot of you, Daniel? Is that you, you fishing? No, over there man, that hat I'm, on? I'm actually, I'm not into fishing, that's not me, I can't do that. But now, golf guy, now you're talking. Uh, but I was just was gonna point out the bottom line as of uh, July 30th, 2022, Academy has opened two new stores this year, and the company plans to open at least nine new stores in 2022. So they've got a few more stores opening this year, of course. Just want to remind you, 100 stores within five years. Pretty aggressive, but I'm sure they can probably pull it off. All right, let's go ahead and look at Dix. Next slide for me, Josh. So Seeking Alpha authors have a hold rating on Dix Sporting Goods right now. Wall Street still has a buy on it, but the quant system does have a hold on the stock. And if we go to the factor grades and check those out, the valuation of Dix Sporting Goods right now is a C-, minus, which seems fair valued, but its growth is a little worrisome here. So that's something to keep in mind. Profitability, or sorry, growth is a D minus. Profitability is an A minus. Momentum is an A minus and revisions are an A minus. So went ahead and opened up the growth. Go to the next slide, please, Josh. And looking at the growth here, there's a couple of things that, I mean, this is just a few of them, but the lever free cash flow growth is a D minus grade. The operating cash flow growth is a D and the CapEx growth is a D plus. I mean, it's just, they're just a little over levered right? They, they've got to tweak a few knobs. They can definitely do it. They get the higher margins off of the bit, the brand name products. They make a good amount of money. They they'll, they'll be fine. I will say that. I think that they're going to be completely fine. Lastly, let's look at the dividend grades real quick for Dick's sporting goods. And it's a little worrisome. Um, but I think overall the amount of money that they're actually paying out in dividends versus, you know, spending money on paying down their debt and everything else, I think it's going to be okay for now. I mean, obviously low payout ratio, they have levers they can pull, um, they they move product, they move product. The big thing is just where we go from here. Management just has a little bit of work to do on this, but I, I personally, just my opinion, I wouldn't be too worried about this one. Their dividends been consistent. They've grown it for seven years, or they paid it for seven years. They've grown it every three years, I think. Um, they did a special dividend. Um, looks pretty solid to me. So let's go ahead and chart off of that, please, Josh. And got to ask the people, since you're here listening to us, 
do you have a thought? If you were to buy between these two companies today, would you choose Dick Sporting Goods or Academy Sports Outdoors? Let us know right now in the chat. Uh, Alex has been tuning in. Alex <laughs> is on it. Alex knows what's going on. There we go. So let's see. ASO from Norm. Alex, I got to ask you, Alex, would you, uh, would you be more into buying Dick Stock or ASO? Alex oh, is the girl. girl. I apologize. I am, I am so sorry. I apologize, Alex. Well, it makes, I mean, yeah. yeah. All right. So I guess we're going with ASO. Anybody for Dick Sporting Goods? George is also ASO. Okay. Well, guys, we hope you learned something today. Thanks for hanging out with us this hour. Obviously, let us know if you have any stock recommendations that you want us to look at. You can email that over at stockmarketlive at seekingalpha.com. Again, you can find Austin at Cashflow Freaks on Seeking Alpha Marketplace. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find him on Twitter and TikTok and LinkedIn as well. And we really just appreciate you guys. We hope you have a great rest of the week. Remember, Seeking Alpha Black Friday sales going on right now. 50% off premium. You can also check out Alpha Picks and everything else. Austin, anything you want to say before we get out of here? I just want to shout out Christian and Vita for hyping us up. Norm as well. George, Alex. Alex, thank you so much for being so active in the chat. Don't forget to leave those podcast reviews. Drop the 100 emoji so we know you're a real one. And uh, we'll see you next week. All right, Josh, let's get on out of here. Everybody have a great rest of the day.